Hello there, friend. Welcome to the Kind Mind Podcast. This is Todd. I want to apologize for the long delay between episodes. I tried to take a couple weeks off for the holidays and visit my parents in California, but that never happened. I got COVID and it took some time to fully recover, but thankfully I did. And then I've been struggling with some other health issues that have bothered me over the last three years. Now I'm feeling really good and ready to rock and roll and have a lot of content lined up to share with you this year, so I'm really excited about that. But thank you so much for always bearing with me. And if I haven't told you yet, Happy New Year. I hope 2022 is off to a great start for you and that it's filled with unexpected blessings and creative potential. I want to thank you for supporting me however you have from from listening to the show and making time out of your busy life to reviewing and sharing this podcast with friends and to those of you who support this show on Patreon that means so much to me can't thank you enough you may recall that i shared a live free or dialogue near the end of the year with jeff booth well i have more of those coming If that's something that you're looking forward to, just know that when it's titled Live Free or Dialogue, that it's a conversation. It's not one of my my talks from the Kind Mind Gatherings. But the most recent two that I've recorded are about death. And that's a topic that I always circle back to on this show because there's so much taboo around it. But I was so fortunate to speak with Jose Hernandez recently, who is a near-death survivor who has this remarkable story of what he um, believes to be his encounter with the afterlife and, and the art that he's making is um, transformational. And he was featured on the Netflix docuseries Surviving Death. If you haven't seen that, that's a pretty neat show, especially the final episode about reincarnation. I was really impressed with the scientific studies going on for, at the University of Virginia with kids who recall their past lives. So that's really intrigued me. And then I had a conversation recently with an entrepreneur named Sandy Gibson, and he has launched an alternative to cemeteries for people's funeral rites and ways to honor their, their loved ones after they pass with trees in a sanctuary, and there's 10 of them now in the country. And his story is, is special, and the conversation that we had was, was really meaningful. So I'm excited to share those with you and to do more things this year to, to grow this community and to create meaningful content for you all and to allow for, for your input, your participation. So I've also wanted to speak about things going on in the world currently, I know the division rages on, even though hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel with, with COVID. And I was thinking about doing that here, but I, but I think I'll just wait and offer another question and reflection segment of the show. That's just where I take questions, either from Patreon or the wider community, and then I learn about it. I take a little time to learn about that topic and then just reflect on it. You know, so it's not really answers, it's just more perspective to keep encouraging openness and respect and dialogue. But anyone can send me a question this time around. So use my email, michaeltodfink at gmail.com to send mail to. And it can be for the the question and reflection, or it can be anything. You're welcome to send other questions and suggestions. And on that segment of the show, I always keep it anonymous to protect your privacy and also allow you the freedom to ask anything under the sun. I want to improve the Patreon structure. Uh, I know that inflation has been difficult for people and I want to go the opposite way. I want to give you more for less and create more opportunities for inclusivity and accessibility to the content and to the community and to the Kind Mind gatherings, whether on Zoom or in person. So I welcome your feedback there and, and I'll be communicating ideas and, and uh, connecting with, with Patreon soon. Now this episode is about health. 
I think I chose it because I've just gone through some health stuff. And when I recorded it last March, I think, of 2021, I was also having an, a bad autoimmune flare-up and a, a case of costochondritis, which is inflammation of the rib cage. I was experiencing stuff I never felt before. So I think this is a good time to circle back to those ideas and share more about my experience with health. Because it's just so personal, but, but I've found from early in life that your challenges living in this body can literally bring you to your knees. Life will humble you in that way. Health will, and the lack of health will humble you. We talk about wealth inequality sometimes on the show, but there's also health inequality. And when I've gone through those experiences, it has really transformed the way I can feel empathy for people who suffer. And, and knowing what people in my life have already gone through, I, I look back and realize I didn't have the capacity to empathize with them. But now I do. And in that way, we're always growing. Our experiences are always teaching us and helping us gain wisdom. So I want to start by just making a disclaimer here about everything that's talked about in this episode related to health. Of course, this is not a substitute for professional medical treatment or diagnosis or advice. I just want to share my experiences and my perspectives to engage everybody because I know that our health is complicated and when people try to make it simple, I feel like it dismisses the, the broader implications of our experience. I mean, we may know how a particular disorder or disease progresses, but then there are so many variables from our mental health to our environment to the circumstances of the world that I think is all part of it. So it's difficult to say, this is this, this is what it is in every case. In that spirit, I think we need to share more. We need to connect more, open up ourselves to further understanding. I think health will always be a mystery. I mean, the human body is, is such a complex system and all the systems within the system of the human body. The, like the brain is the most complicated object in the universe. We're only beginning to understand what's happening within. And one of the main points of this episode is that, at least in my experience, we tend to take for granted when our bodies are healthy or feel good or feel strong. We also tend to assume the worst uh, when there's pain or, or we worry that our illness will never go away. In my understanding, health is not a permanent state. I was actually considering titling this episode to health and back because health is not something that can be maintained because we cannot control all of the variables that affect our health. I'll talk about that more in the episode. And also, all things pass. Everything passes. Everything's temporary. And you might say, no, some illnesses or conditions or diseases are not temporary. They're going to, well, if it doesn't pass, we'll pass. And then it passes, right? So what I'm saying is with to health and back, we'll eventually end up in a place where health and disease are irrelevant. Because being healthy in, you know, involves having a body and life as we know it. Each side of life is an opportunity to go beyond our limiting notions of ourself. In so-called good health, we can expand our awareness past the boundaries of our skin to feel disease in the wider field of existence. And then we can be agents for positive change and healing. I think dis-ease is a signal to come back to our innermost being. And I take time in this episode to explore that word further, disease, and its etymology. To observe pain in the body with compassion and curiosity, again, helps us feel less identified with the corporeal and find a sense of equanimity in the pure consciousness or awareness of our being. I talk about 
different dimensions factor into overall wellness and well-being. But I didn't go into social health. I'm not going to say much about that here either because I have another episode that was recorded last year that's entirely about social well-being, which includes boundaries and the mechanics of trust. So I'll reserve that and, and go deeper then. So just know that that's why that part's still missing. So I mentioned that I had struggled with some autoimmune flare-ups. This is a word that's now becoming a household word. Autoimmune. Autoimmune disease, autoimmune conditions. Fortunately for me, there was a strong genetic component to what I was experiencing. And my father and my brother had already been through really painful episodes of inflammation and autoimmune conditions. So when I started experiencing some of it, I already had a much better framework of understanding and a starting point. I really feel like I would have been much worse off if I didn't have their insights. But what I've learned in my case is that there is a particular gene associated with um, inflammation in the spine, in the lower back, in the hips, and other joints, a, a type of kind of arthritis. And arthri- most arthritis is uh, considered autoimmune or, or rheumatic conditions. Now, in my case, the conventional wisdom is that you get inflammation and your options are to take anti-inflammatories or, or to consume anti-inflammatory foods to help manage that. And there is some effectiveness in that. However, there's a trade-off also. When we take medications like that, it also has side effects and longer-term effects. I just think it's a starting point. And so I wanted to emphasize here that we can really get locked in to a diagnosis. Now, again, I want to be clear that I'm not saying to dismiss a diagnosis. and I don't want this to be a substitute for medical advice. I'm just saying that there is no definite path that a disease or disorder progresses. There are lots of variables. And when you identify too much with a diagnosis, even I'm not saying that that the diagnosis isn't real. I'm saying that when we identify it too much, it can start to affect our mental health. And when we start to feel hopeless, we miss out on some of the things that we could be doing to improve the quality of our life. One of the things I'm trying to say here is that if we kind of reframe some of our ways of approaching our body and our, and our health, and if we think of something like a diagnosis or a disorder as a map, a map, it has probable routes, possible routes, and maybe clearer routes that things will go if changes aren't made. And then instead of thinking of cures, think about care. Look for patterns and care responses instead, and treat your whole body. Because in the end, we have to go. So the goal can't be to live forever. The goal has to be finding a balance. And balance is always something that is shifting, balancing. Now, many people complain that the conventional uh, healthcare, modern medicine, is afraid to talk about wellness in a way that includes lifestyle and preventative care. And I think there's some truth to that. However, I have lots of friends who work in healthcare and doctors that I'm close with in the hospital that I've worked at. And when I have closer, private, deeper conversations with, with doctors especially, I, I realize that there's a real challenge because part of the way our medical system is the way that it is is because of demand. Same with our technology and all our other products and services. We want speed. And the fastest way 
to feel relief is is medicine in in most cases. You know, I, I had a conversation with a rheumatologist recently because I was explaining to her that some some special changes have really made a difference in my life. And sometimes some of her patients are not very responsive to the medical and medical interventions. And I was tell and she was asking me actually, like, can you tell me about some of the other things you're doing for inflammation, like cryotherapy and the dietary changes? And I'll come back to that in a second. But the point here was that she confided in me how difficult it is to share wisdom with patients. I mean, think of something like this. To be able to tell a patient, hey, let's have you lose some weight first, and then we can see where we're at at that point. Well, she's tried to do that with some patients, and the patient will get up and walk out. I didn't come here for you to shame me or to um, judge or criticize my lifestyle. So where do, you, where do you find the happy medium? We're still, I think, developing the language of compassion in healthcare and, and trying to spread the education. I mean, I, I am. I'm trying to spread education so that patients and clinicians can be collaborators. And this is the most important takeaway from this introduction is that if you want to tackle your health issues, I do think it has to be a collaborative process. And if your caregivers, your clinicians, your doctors aren't respectful of that, then I think, you know, then that might mean you need a, a different partner in this process. Fortunately, I've found professional staff that are really respectful of this kind of collaboration and make time. And there are doctors who will make time. Certain practices, certain limitations with coverage and all that interferes with all this. And it's, it's really sad. But whatever you can do, to bring this process forward like this, this collaborative process. What that does is I think it also makes us a little bit more accountable. If I expect my primary care physician to have all the answers, that's unrealistic. But if I can do some investigating myself and really do a better job of knowing what I'm actually experiencing. You know, I've been called over to meet with patients in different departments in healthcare because of how integrative health really is. And so sometimes physical therapists are interested in what my mindful approaches might, how, how it might do with their progression. And I've found, you know, the patients sometimes don't even know how much pain they're in or how often they, they feel pain. Those are really important data points. So to that end, here's what I discovered with some of the health issues I was having. When our bodies have inflammation, for instance, or even when our heart and our emotions have stress or anxiety, these things don't happen for no reason. It's not as simple as just an error or a mistake. I think our bodies have a lot more wisdom than that. It's easy to think of pain and inflammation as just simply degeneration and getting old. But when I looked into it deeper in my case, I found that so much is related to our gut. And in Ayurveda, the medical wisdom of ancient India, there's a saying that every disease begins in the gut. Now, we have a lot more challenges in modern life because I think there's so many toxins that affect our gut health from possibly GMO foods, from pesticides from pollution in the air, from perhaps from other types of toxicity coming from devices and technology and waves and so on. Now, do I think any of those things are immediately unsafe? No, probably not. But what is safe, really? I mean, we, t we talk about safe mostly in terms of what could really harm you in the short term. But I think a lot of the things that we're exposed to have a cumulative effect on our safety. And so also with the permeability of the gut lining. Now, in my case, after talking with a lot of people who are experiencing similar things, and then looking for scientific literature, I found that in my case, there, there was a connection between 
a pathogen and something called molecular mimicry. So the pathogen is the bacteria Klebsiella escaping a leaky gut. Those with a gene type that I have, HLA-B27, have tissues that look like the bacteria. So when it escapes the gut, more antibodies for Klebsiella are produced, but they mistake our own tissues for the infection, thereby causing inflammation. But the body isn't being stupid. It's trying to solve an issue. And so I experimented, and I talked with my doctor, and my, do- my doctor was supportive with me on this journey. And my experiments included low-starch diets to remove the food of the overgrowth bacteria, taking steps to repair the gut lining, then adding probiotics to support the healthy balance of the microbiome. Because when you're trying to kill one bacteria, especially with an antibiotic, you're going to kill good bacteria too. And I mean, that's just a wild concept in and of itself, that there's a whole world of microscopic life that we live either symbiotically with or antagonistically with, but that it's, your body is a community, essentially. And then sure enough, I made progress. Now what I'm trying to understand is if that's going to be a continuous cycle, or is there a, a way to to really find more longer-lasting balance in my gut. But maybe it'll take time to continue to repair, repair that. And maybe it'll always be a challenge because I'm always going to be exposed to toxins and I'm always going to make slip-ups in my diet. And I'm, and I'm always going to strike a balance between the way I want to relate to others and spend time with others and have meals with others and how much it's important to, you know, to avoid inflammation. But this kind of curiosity can lead you to so much insight and understanding about the body. And this, ex- this would explain why this genetic marker, HLA-B27, exists in almost 95% of people with ankylosing spondylitis. But only 5% of people with that gene go on to get AS. Why is that? This would explain that. that it, the gene itself doesn't make you get that disease. But there's a trigger, there's an event like the escape of the pathogen that triggers this response in people with that predisposition. And this is true for a lot of genetic predispositions, like a gene for alcohol or addiction. Well, there there still has to be environmental triggers, right? It's not like no matter where you are and, and what you're exposed to, you'll develop an alcohol addiction if you have that gene. There has to be some environmental cues. If you never have access to alcohol, you're not going to have an addiction to alcohol, for instance. So this has been really meaningful to me, this, this journey, and just marveling at how much of a mystery life and death really are. And again, you can't always be comfortable. But these days, social media would have you believe otherwise. When you see images, uh, people's highlight reels of, and filtered photos and perfect lighting and everything, you, you could get the impression that we're really failing somehow in, in our own health when we know, like, there's no way I'm going to look like that or feel like that. But so much of it is an illusion. You can't always be comfortable. And it's not healthy even to always be comfortable. I almost called this episode to health and back just to emphasize the impermanence and the relativity of health when there is life or a body. Because once we pass, I think health will lose all of its meaning. Death and disease are powerful cycles for transformation and showing us the brevity of life. One of my colleagues recently said, I didn't come here for a long time. I came here for a good time. And that's important to keep in mind. Why are we here? If there is truly something that continues beyond the physical death of the body, then we could benefit spiritually and psychologically from realizing we aren't the body. We have a body. 
or spirit or soul or consciousness or energy or something undefinable. I was watching this show on Netflix, The Human Body, and it continues to amaze me how scientists, especially biologists, will use this word you, but take it totally for granted. They'll talk about every system in the body and how it serves you or how it defends you or how it fuels you and even the nervous system and the brain scientists in the show are saying the nervous system thinks for you it gives you a reaction to every moment to every experience and how fast it can do this for you well if none of these systems are you and the nervous system with the brain is not you it's in service of you it gives thoughts to you it gives feelings to you who are you it's amazing that it doesn't even have to be defined You know, I have a problem with that because imagine if you replace that word with soul and you're watching these shows about the human body or reading biology books and it's saying the stomach processes food and assimilates nutrition in this way so that the soul is benefited or that the brain processes information through the senses and gives thoughts for the soul. It would sound silly, right? And that is what the wise and the mystics have always pointed out as the fundamental illusion and the fundamental problem. And really thoughtful philosophers come continue to wrestle with the dilemma of I and I-ness. But to conclude this intro, even in pain and disease, there is still so much potential, both for experience and creativity. So what's really in the way? Is it ego? Well, I hope this episode is meaningful to you and helpful to you in some way on your journey towards health and wisdom and peace. I hope to connect with you soon. And so the reason why I thought to talk about health and disease this time is because I've been having some personal health issues and that's what I've been thinking about, my my own health. So a couple weeks ago, I had an episode of something called costochondritis. It's an inflammation in the rib joints where the ribs meet the sternum. And this pain got so bad that I went to the hospital just to make sure it wasn't anything more serious because it pretty much mimics what a heart attack feels like. When I was at the hospital and in the the days following, I had like the most pain I ever had in my life. And I've broken bones before playing basketball. I've torn ligaments and, and struggled with back pain and things like that. But this was like searing, stabbing, excruciating pain. And one of the nights I just thought, you know, I don't, can you die from pain? (laughs) You know, pain is so intense. But I got through it and I'm getting better. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better every day now, thanks to time and a lot of good care from people in my life. And I also thought that it's a, well-fitting that they call people receiving treatment patients because that's all it is. It's just something you have to wait through. And what really does most of the healing is nature, time. I've also noticed being here in California and having a little more mobility again, that the sunlight striking my skin feels so rejuvenating. It feels like it's healing. So anyways, I've reflected on this experience and I've noticed a couple things that we take for granted our own health. We take for granted when we don't feel pain. And that's really what ease is all about. So I was saying the opposite of health being dis-ease. Ease is when you don't even sense your body. 
if something's hurting, it like dominates your your consciousness. If you have a toothache, it could be any little toothache. If it's really painful, it feels like that's the worst kind of pain there is. And you become keenly aware of that part of your body. Ease is when there's not this strong sense of of locality. You can be more open and aware. And we make two mistakes. So we take, we tend to, and not everybody, but in my case, at least, we tend to take for granted our own health. You just go about life as if that's never going to change. And then on the flip side, we tend to worry so much about our disease, about our pain, especially. When in pain, naturally anxious thoughts come that tell us this is never going to go away or this is something way more serious. But I think it's very normal to cycle between these states. And I think it's also important that we do. We're constantly trying to eliminate illness, eliminate pain. And pain is a very sobering experience. When you come out of it, it's like a rebirth. When you pass through pain or when you pass through even a fever or a flu, or if anyone has struggled through this pandemic and suffered with COVID, you know that when you're coming through, there's a like a, a recharge, there's a reset that happens. And your health is not like the health that you had before. It's a new kind of energy. And I noticed when I stepped outside for the first time after recovering from this episode that just breathing and moving feels different. So I think both of these states are important. Sometimes in spiritual life, I notice that people try to sell the notion that health can be a permanent state. If you live naturally enough, if you meditate enough, if you're peaceful enough, if you eat healthy enough, sure, I think it's possible to enjoy fitness and, and to put yourself into position to be healthier. But what is health? Is it a permanent state? Is it something you ha you ultimately have control over? An injury can happen at any time, right? No matter what I'm eating. Harm can happen to me at any time from another, no matter how kind I am. And the environment can change at any time, right? And that can affect my health. Pollution can affect my health. Politics can affect my health. As talking with my mom about her new office here in Southern California that she'll have access to. And she was saying that there's a little bit different focus of the work. She's an attorney working for a nonprofit in California that serves people with housing disputes and also um, labor disputes. So it's often cases where minorities uh, or disadvantaged people are taken advantage of by landlords or corporations not providing appropriate amenities to their workers. But here in the South, she was talking about a division that focuses primarily on indigenous peoples from Mexico in California. And this group of people do not even speak Spanish. They speak native languages of Mesoamerica. And I was thinking how difficult it would be to seek refuge in this country, but you don't speak English or Spanish. What kind of trouble you could get into? What kind of exploitation you could suffer? And this coming at the time when I'm recovering from my physical thing. So I started thinking much more broadly about health. And I felt a lot more empathy for people who have dis-ease in all these different dimensions. So health contains this word heal within it, which means to move toward wholeness, to move towards holiness, whole and holy, which is a sense of unity, sense of oneness. So of course, in the larger scheme of things, we're so far away from unity. So how can we say there's perfect health waiting for you if you just meditate and 
eat healthy and so on. And another definition of ease is to assist, to help, to alleviate the pain in you or in those around you. So somewhere in the broader body of humanity, there's always pain. But if locally we feel good, we sometimes neglect that. So this health and disease or good feeling and pain feeling is always a dance that's going on all around us. And even if we could get our life and our community into perfect health, how can that be permanent? To be at the summit of the mountain, from there all roads lead downward. So the point here is that you have to try to learn from whatever experience you're in and try to develop certain types of attitudes towards the ups and downs. My guru taught that in yoga, you want to try to cultivate the attitude of cheerfulness and equanimity no matter what condition you're in. And he said also, and I have since found this in yogic scriptures, that if a person could maintain a cheerful attitude, they could achieve samadhi, which is a state of realization, a type of awakening, without holding your breath, without long periods of meditation, without austerities like fasting, just remaining cheerful and kind, a person could enter into an awakened state. How could that be? Because equanimity is the condition of the yogi, meaning they're identified with pure awareness, with consciousness, not identified with the body. So seeing what's happening in the body to a yogi is no different than seeing what's happening in a movie seeing what's happening in the world. You may feel something for it, but you don't feel cut by it. You don't feel wounded by it. You don't feel enhanced by it because you're not identified with it. You're identified with the witnessing consciousness. So what are the dimensions of health that we can be more mindful of? There's obviously our physical health, and that often comes down to the way that you take care of your body, the way you put fuel into your body. I could simply say that the more whole food you have, the holier you'll be. However, as I found, I, the mistake that I made when I was younger was I had problems with hypertension from heart genetics. And over a couple of years, I adjusted my diet to be whole plant-based, less refined foods, very little processed foods, and very little conventional food, mostly organic. And then when I felt much better, when I felt no more dis-ease, I thought, I got it. I figured it out. And I just rode that diet for 20 years. What I've learned about this in the last few years with different bouts of inflammation and discovered another genetic disposition to autoimmune disease and certain spinal diseases is that even within a plant-based diet, there can be issues with inflammation from nuts and beans and legumes, from the lectins within th these um, whole foods that actually become a whole plant. So anything that you can plant and bec becomes a plant has the potential to trigger inflammation in people like me, especially if this becomes a foundation of your diet for protein, which it has in, in my case. So lentils, beans, nuts, seeds, this has been what I've been all about, you know. And in reducing that and coming back to mostly greens, and salads for a little bit as I recover, I've noticed that I feel a rebalancing in my body. So I just want to point out that no matter what your diet is, you may be building towards an imbalance. Like I said, there's no permanent state of health in my understanding. 
And I said before, there's no perfect balance in life. There's balancing, a continuous shifting of energy and attention in an active universe. So it will be important with whatever your nutrition is, whatever your fuel is, to keep revisiting it, to keep checking in with your body. Second is rest. And when you're younger, you have so much more energy, you can go with little sleep, you can push yourself. But when this becomes a habit, it catches up with you later in life. Now, I understand sleep is a superpower. This is the best opportunity for our body to heal, to repair, to rejuvenate, not just physically, but psychologically as well. I think so much healing happens on the subconscious level for the things we're struggling with in a mental way, in a, the stress that we're dealing with. A lot of that can be resolved through our dreams. And then movement. In the modern life, especially since the pandemic, there's been so much more sedentary work where people are working on the computer for home, from home. But making sure to move and to breathe, to be active, activates our lymphatic system. And that is our body's sewage system. If we were to shut that down, we would die within 24 hours. This is supported by movement and deep breathing. So when we're practicing meditation and doing deep breathing like Dave showed us, we stimulate the lymphatic system and we can move that sewage through our body and out of our body. And then we have our mental health. We're seeing still through this pandemic that the young people are struggling more and more with loneliness and suicidal ideation. Last year, I reported that one out of four young people had considered suicide in the last 30 days. Now it's one out of three. So this is a serious problem. And when there's one kind of dis-ease, like physical pain, it seems to supersede all other types of dis-ease. I think the, the pain that I've been going through is still the second worst pain. First, that beats it all, it was heartache for me through uh, loss of love. I know because I've asked the people around me and they said, no, this is not, <laughs> you're not in as much pain as you were then. So that had nothing to do with physical, that was only emotional. And that's something that's not always easy to see when you're in the type of pain that you're in, that there's another kind of pain. So um, our emotional health goes into our mental health. What is that? And that ends up impacting our physical health as well. That's whatever we're carrying from the emotional wounds that we've been through. And those wounds happen from betrayals, when people violate our trust. And the, the people who are closest to us can wound us the most parents, friends, partners. When they lie to you, when they manipulate you, when they hurt you, when they abuse you verbally or physically, it's a violation of the basic codes of how society is set up. The codes of protection, the codes of trust between us and our tribe. And we're also wounded emotionally when people shame us, when they make us feel small, when they make us feel inferior. Uh, by the words that they use, by the judgments that they make, by the labels that it, they assign to us because of anything. Because of the color of our skin, because of the size of our body, the shapes of our body, the, the way that we look, the way that we talk, the way that we move, the way that we do anything, the way that we perform or act may all be subject of shaming from the people that we love. A third one is abandonment, neglect. When people leave, people don't show up for us. And it may not necessarily be, it's the absence of what we need is also a deep emotional wound. Learning to heal these wounds takes time and noticing how they impact our heart, how they impact our gut, how they impact our ability to think clearly, our anxiety, our sadness, our depression, our worry, our self-doubt. 
You know, so I say that these aren't permanent states because can I choose what I'm going to get in my upbringing? Can I choose my genetics? Can I choose how the people I love are ultimately going to treat me? Can I can I guarantee that nobody will walk out on me? Of course not, no matter what I do. And that's going to affect my health. All I can do is bear witness to this and try to cultivate what I'm talking about, which is equanimity and compassion for ourselves and others so that we can show up with a cheerful disposition no matter what's going on. And that is the real power of a yogi, to be able to smile in any adversity, to be able to bring kindness to others no matter what's going on internally, right? Because it how much would it take to prevent me from sp- smiling? How much would it take to block me from being able to be kind to somebody else? When you start to think about it this way, you have your anchor. And when you're going through these hard periods of life, it's amazing how supportive kindness is. You know, we are grasping for anything when you're suffering in pain, whether it's heartache or physical pain. And somebody placing their hand on you or holding your hand might be the difference between whether or not we can endure that, whether or not we can be patient. And so you have this opportunity to find the pain point in your field, whether it's in your body. And when you're in pain, what's the, what's the first thing we do? We put our hand there. My chest is hurting. I I put my hand on my chest instinctively, spontaneously. And we can do that for others too, with their permission. We can place a hand on their shoulder, on their heart, or hold their hand. And then you feel like you're not alone. You, You can bear more. So the emphasis here is that ease is not just the absence of illness. Ease is our capacity to assist others, to assist ourselves, our capacity for compassion. And this ease then is anything that stands in the way of that, which then means that every so-called wound, regret, hurt, and pain, does it all need to be addressed? I would say no, because life is short, right? I mean, at some point you realize this is a a brief stopover. And if those things do not stand in the way of you living your purpose and you living your values and you being of service to yourself and others, maybe not every regret needs to be revisited. If it does stand in the way of what you feel is your capacity to live purposefully, then yeah, that needs to be the focus of our healing, which is our restoration, our return to to ease. A few other dimensions to be mindful of. Intellectual health is a matter of meaning. Being able to have stimulating thoughts, to be able to have access to good ideas, to good information, to poetry, to inspiration, to be able to have conversations that nourish the mind, and to be able to have access to silence and solitude to purify the mind. Then I would say financial wellness is also a dimension to be mindful of, because when people have no power to purchase what they need to make a difference in their life and the lives of others because of the limitations of currency, sometimes that goes beyond one's control. Again, we don't get to decide what family we're born into, what socioeconomic class we're born into. So just like genetics, we're immediately born into some amount of privilege or some amount of challenge just by the conditions that you inherit. But when that situation is not balanced, not healthy, I think it's important then to understand that money is an energy. 
there's nothing wrong with focusing on building wealth or putting yourself on a path towards financial success to consult with people that can help you, that, that can guide you to it. But then not to be attached to it because, again, all it is is something that happens on the first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. People mistake this first level for the fifth level and they think more and more financial well-being will somehow translate to happiness and inner peace and it never does. You know, I've worked with so many people over the years in all kinds of financial situations, but not necessarily free of anxiety, not free of worry. It doesn't cure worry. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't solve the psychological wounds that people might be harboring or have untreated. Put yourself on a path to financial well-being and feel good that you're moving in the direction towards health, towards wholeness in that dimension. Then the last one we'll talk about for now is uh, environmental. We've said before that uh, pollution outside is essentially pollution inside. What happens to the air happens to my lungs. What happens to the water happens to my blood. So earth love is self-love. Beyond our skin, there's always some pain point in the environment and we're more or less exposed to that trauma. It may be closer, it may be farther away, but at some point our existence is totally dependent on the earth. And so we can never say we're in perfect health because we know the earth isn't in perfect health. And again, another example of how, no matter how spiritual you are, the only way that would be is if a person was keeping up the illusion of separateness, of individuality. That's, I think, one of the illusions of some New Age spirituality the, and um, law of attraction is creating divisions. I can make myself successful, myself healthy, and myself happy. But since we know the earth isn't healthy and isn't being treated well in parts of our community, are not well, then we know we're not completely well either. If you're somebody who feels with the whole, somebody who empathizes and is compassionate, so sometimes those disruptions in the environment are acute and temporary, like a barking dog next door keeps you up at night, or it's more chronic, some something that is a, a, a deeper problem in the environment. But we have to work together to solve those environmental diseases and, uh, and understand that that's part of who we are. That's part of our mission here, to take care of ourselves from the inside out.